Live from the Coachella Valley, time for another hour of the desert scene. Art exhibitions to modernism, music festivals to live theater, big screen, little screen, and very little screen. This is the Culture Corner with Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. And good Saturday morning to you. Welcome to the two-hour version of the Culture Corner. I'm Bonnie Gilgallen here with Brian Mendoza, my co-host, and we're having a blast. This is, I think, our fourth fourth show, I think, since we started this I th- combination. I think this is episode four. Yeah. yeah. I want to believe Yeah. And we've <laughs> got a lot of some great guests today, um, some movie makers, a singer, some uh, folks from Scripted Stage to Screen, uh, David Perry, who's a PR guy, has written a book, some great guests. But we always like to start uh, with the news. So mm-hmm. you wanted to talk about the Emmys a little bit? Oh, yes. So the Emmy nominations came out a cup, like all the way back in the summer. So now they finally did the award ceremony. It was fine. I mean, for what it was going to be, it wasn't going to be this big spectacular event. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things where we're going to have to deal with what we're going to get. Yeah, you know? exactly. You got to do what you got to do. I think, yeah, I think under the circumstances, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched a chunk of it. I thought they did a, a good job under no, the circumstances, I, you know. And the important thing is that they had fun and the deserving people won. That's my concerns always. The award ceremonies are never permanent. For me, I've always noticed that that at the award ceremonies for anything are always gone by the next day. By the right. next week, they're gone. It's more about who won and what sticks around, what's relevant. Mm-hmm. And for me, they they did a pretty good job with the winners. I'm I'm going to be honest and say this is a pretty pretty satisfying, reflective uh, group of winners because for me, the winners should have long term success in terms of the fact that well did did this deserve it was it good enough to win was it uh was it reflective of our culture was it is it not reflective enough that it doesn't become dated it's a lot of things you have to think about i don't know Mm -hmm. i guess i'm trying to make sense here where it's like there's a lot of things that i i think about when it comes to the winners like is it relevant enough is it is it timely is it timeless but is it also a good show you know Mm -hmm. is it good enough to win so here's some of the here are the the winners so Shit's Creek won outstanding comedy series it went that won like eight nine things didn't it I I think it won about (laughs) a lot yeah it won a lot actually let me look it up let me see this real quick and it is by s-c-h-i-t-g apostrophe s so don't get all weirded out (laughs) on us here it's Mm. actually like a really for me it's difficult to say because I I keep wanting to say the other word I've never I've never watched the show. I have to admit, I'm sorry. I'm out of it. I guess so. I'll have to rely on you. On it's that. it won seven Emmys, including oh, so many like outstanding a- lead, lead actor, actor, lead actress, uh, supporting actor because the one of the one of the guest actor one of the supporting actors is really popular. Eugene Levy's son. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Eugene Levy and um, I always forget his. I always stumble on his name dan levy Mm because i always want to say shane for some reason but it's not (laughs) and these two are father son and they both won emmys that night did it win the best show did it win yes outstanding comedy series yeah okay and uh and and i think it definitely deserved it so for those of you who don't know schitt's creek is a tv show about a rich family who decides to who loses all their money and all their fortune and they have to move to a town that they purchased as a joke originally mm. the show itself lasted three seasons before uh netflix acquired its distribution rights it, it didn't go to netflix but thanks to netflix it now received a lot of popularity the netflix bump and 
and it actually proves that most people will catch on to your show by the third season if it's worth catching up to. Mm-hmm. The show itself received a lot of praise and love from the LGBT community because of its depiction of a gay couple that mm-hmm. was really positively done to the point that the show, while it's not a show about gay people, it became a show with a substantial enough gay audience that when you go to Hollywood, like I last year was I went to L.A., twice a month and everywhere i went i saw posters for schitt's creek and they were i don't know there's something kind of inspiring about mm-hmm. that just seeing like a picture of two men on a dinner table and it says schitt's creek for your consideration yeah, so va- validation val- and inclusivity which is what everybody wants yeah no i def and definitely mm-hmm. was inclusive on that mm-hmm. end and it didn't have to be a show specifically about gay men and so for me it kind of proves the theory of you can be inclusive and you don't have to necessarily focus on be just in your face about stuff. Yeah. It no. can be part of the story. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, it, and I think that having wonderful supporting characters of marginalized groups is just as substantive as having them as the leads. Yeah. Who else did anybody else win anything? <laughs> what other shows won something? <laughs> so succession one, I've won outstanding drama series. It didn't, from my understanding, I have never seen this show, but from my understanding of the show, it's, it's about like an oil baron's family. So it's a bit like, a, not oil baron, but it's like a media and hospitality empire. I keep thinking it's like a Dallas. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> is Dallas? Is it Dallas? Of, yeah. <laughs> and it's basically about these fa- about this family that fights for control of the company and and the father in it. Apparently the father in it, played by Brian Cox, I believe. Mm-hmm. He, um, he's actually in a, I think his health is actually part of the drama of the series where they're actually concerned about him dying or that he who's who is he going to pass the legacy to mm. the show itself has kind of slowly after Game of Thrones ended became like the HBO series for people to watch. I have never seen it. Uh, it's not because I don't want to see it. It's just, you know, there's so much you have to see. Like everyone tells mm. you, you got to see this this week. Like yeah. this week, everyone wanted me to see Ratch, but I've never saw uh, the Nurse Ratchet TV show. Uh-huh. I heard about it. I didn't see it. I haven't seen it. And yeah. then suddenly and then suddenly it's going to disappear and then you have to watch something else. And it's like, yeah. Oh, give me a second. Not enough hours in the day. Yeah. <laughs> we might be locked inside, but I don't think yeah. we're yeah. exactly watching TV all the time. So what won Best Drama? That would be it, Succession. Succession, okay. Uh, outstanding Limited Series. The winner is Watchmen, the series that's based on the comic book. It's a sequel to the comic book, which is about superheroes and uh, vigilantes. Mm, that, okay. that one, I've seen it. It's actually really good. I do recommend that show. Um it's one of those shows where it has its issues where some people have called it copaganda, even though I, I don't think it's necessarily positive on that end, but we'll see. <laughs> and as for outstanding variety talk show last week tonight with John Oliver, I think that is mm-hmm. very well deserving because mm-hmm. every time he does an episode, it's always so I'm going to be on, I'm going to just say it like it's refreshing. It's informative. It's relevant. And I think the fact is that his show even at home without the laugh track still holds up whereas the other nominees like Jimmy Kimmel Live The Late Show with Stephen Corbell uh, Full Frontal with Samantha B and the Trevor Noah Show I would even say Trevor Noah would have deserved I I love Trevor Noah I like him a lot yeah these other shows like with the exception of Trevor Noah and John Oliver's show they 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 don't really work without the audience I feel like without the audience Jimmy Kimmel and Stephen Colbert 
and Samantha B, they kind of fall apart a little bit. They and need that audience energy back and forth. Yeah. No, I definitely. Yeah. And I understand that because for me, I can imagine being someone that's so used to an audience and then they go away. It's like, oh. It's a whole different dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And RuPaul's Drag Race won outstanding competition show. So mm -hmm. all the sh it's a competitive program. Um, there's an outstanding reality show, like a non-competitive category, but that's in the creative Emmys. Mm -hmm. This is the primetime Emmy, so okay. we won't cover that one. But RuPaul's Drag Race won, which makes sense. The nominations, the other nominations were The Masked Singer, Nailed It, Top Chef, The Voice. Um, I actually like Nailed It a lot. Have you ever seen that show? I have not. So Nailed It is a TV show where it's about... Um, these group of people that have to take they're amateur cooks like like your mom or anybody like that mm -hmm. like people that aren't professional cooks right and so they have to recreate professional desserts so if the cake was made for a wedding they have to recreate it and the the results the joke is who can recreate it the least bad and okay, whoever yeah. recreates it the least bad will win the okay. contest it's okay. a good show it's a good show all right and that show actually became the first show with a black woman to win outstanding uh reality tv show host good. for the emmys good as for lead actors you, we've talked about Shit's creek winning outstanding lead outstanding lead actress lead actor lead mm -hmm. actress for eugene levy and Catherine o'hara two i think they were two really great actors that actually deserved their their time in the sun. I think Catherine mm -hmm. O'Hara has worked too hard not to get awards. Been around for a while, yeah. Ever yeah. since Home Alone yeah. for me and all that. Um, outstanding lead actor in a drama series, Jeremy Strong on Succession. Outstanding lead actress, Zendaya on Euphoria. And what is she like? The youngest? She's like twenty-two or twenty-three or something. She's real young, isn't she? She really is. Um, yeah. She was born in. She's actually younger than me. She's twenty-four. Right, yeah. twenty-four. Okay. And. I'm actually I'm not surprised at all because if you've ever seen Euphoria, have you seen it? I have not. Euphoria, the show, is basically about this girl who, after being uh, f freed from a rehabilitation clinic, she dis she basically becomes sort of like I don't know how to put it, but like she her she becomes more damaged over the over the course of the show. Mm. She is somebody who. Um, goes through not only trials and tribulations of being a high schooler, but also somebody who's a recovering drug addict. Mm -hmm. So the show itself got a lot of love for Zendaya. Zendaya's guiding. I think this is an interesting arc for her because the fact is she was already gaining respect in the industry over mm -hmm. the years. And now with Euphoria, they definitely they it's definitely a good arc for me like i'm thinking that if she started in a good movie in a couple of years she might win an oscar i think mm. she's on track it's a good meaty role for her yeah. to getting yeah. meteor roles mm. over the years mm. and and i think that her performance in that show is really good now supporting actors dan livy for schitt's creek mm -hmm. for comedy outstanding actress annie murphy for schitt's creek too so that mm. is a lot of wins for this mm -hmm. show that neither one of us have really watched all the <laughs> way through <laughs> now i've seen a good amount of episodes they're really good i just never finished it but i've noticed that the reception for that show got better and better as time went on as time went on yeah. and it's not like a show like and i noticed that it kind of goes into that Emmy final season sweep because Schitt's Creek already is start is already ended, <clears throat> and so I noticed that when shows end and if they pick up enough traction, 
they will win most of their Emmys by the end of the by mm-hmm. the end of the run. Like Sex in the City didn't win any Emmys until the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Game of Thrones, well, that already had won a bunch of Emmys, and, yeah. and then they gave it a bunch of en- Emmys at the end too, which. Yeah. You know, some people have debated whether or not that should have happened, but we'll see. I have to rely on you, Brian. This is why we make such a great team <laughs> for all this. Because here's what here's what I watch on television. I watch uh, Chris Hayes, Rachel Maddow, um, uh, the HGTV, the Home we do, and Dateline. That's what I watch. That's it. I, oh, yeah. I don't really watch any of this other stuff. I just I don't know. I've got other things because I'm. I don't know. I like a Dateline is my. It sounds like it's my escape. I know watching murder shouldn't be an escape, but I love Dateline <laughs> because because of the journalism aspect. I used to do news because the drama of it and because the psychological profiles of the people. I find it fascinating. But that's uh, it. I don't watch anything else. I mean, to be honest, though, like even those shows would win awards too. Like mm-hmm. I think Dateline's won a lot of like news program shows. All over the years, that, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. And <clears throat> I mean, I get it. Like because you want to stay informed, but it's also real. I mm-hmm. think that that's how you found out about Carol Baskin is. It yeah, yeah, because I never watched a second of the time. But Dateline did a story <laughs> on Carol Baskin and the dog wears her husband and all that stuff. That's how I find out the details. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, we're going to c- take a break and we're going to come back with two um, wonderful filmmakers who did this film called The Planters. Very interesting. Uh, Hannah, let's see, Letter, I don't know if it's Letter or Leader, and Alexander Kochev, I believe. We'll be back with them in just a minute on the Culture Corner. Listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Here are Bonnie and Brian. And we're back on The Culture Corner. Now we have two uh, filmmakers on the line. Uh, Hannah, I hope, is it Leader Letter? I'm, I apologize if I'm messing up the name. Is Hannah there? It's Hi. Hannah Leader, yeah. Hannah Leader and Alexander Kocheff who have put together this movie called The Planters. Uh, I, I saw the little preview. Brian has seen the whole movie. But this is a really interesting project. You, you had no crew and you shot it in 127 days. So tell us a little bit about how this project came together. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yes, it was quite an experience. Uh, we did shoot it correct, as you just said, without a crew. Um, we uh-oh, did we lose somebody? Yeah, accent, a technical issue on this end. Give okay, do we have Alexandra on the other line? Uh, I'm here. Hannah's okay. here. Okay. Um, so, I'm sorry. Oh, is Alexandra here? Is she, she got me, kicked off. Yeah, yeah, she got kicked off. Let me get the... Let me correct... Let me put this on lock. Give me a sec. Okay, uh, okay well, let's let's talk to you for a second. So, tell us a little bit. You, you guys met in third grade, and I understand I was yeah. reading your bio. We're kind of uh, maybe labeled troublemakers a little bit. So, t- so you've stayed in touch this whole time since third grade. So, this has been... And so, how, when did you start deciding to put together a movie with the two of you? 
Yeah, well, we've been making little films since we were little, like 12 years old, taking out the camcorder. Uh-huh. Um, but when we, uh, I'd say, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years ago, we started writing together and wrote our first screenplay, which was a Sundance Institute finalist for the Screenwriters Lab there. But we decided to go off and make um, another feature first that could be a prototype for that bigger feature film, which became The Planters. And tell us, tell, tell us a little bit about this, this story, just the basic synopsis. So The Planters is about an awkward, reclusive telemarketer who is grieving the loss of her elderly adoptive parents um, and finds unlikely friendship in a, a very unusual woman with multiple personalities. And the story is really about um, lonely people finding each other uh, and, and finding connection and intimacy, um, obviously, <laughs> with a good dose of comedy. Okay, and yet, and now, did you, I'm assuming you st- you started talking about this and writing, thinking about it long before the pandemic, but what a timely issue about connection and finding each other uh, in this kind of time. I mean, it's, when, did, when did you first have the, the seed of the idea? The seed of uh, the idea was in summer of 2000. 15. Um, and then that fall, we um, went off and did sort of what became a concept shoot uh, just to see if we could actually shoot a film without an on-set crew, which we discovered we could. And then um, and then we, we did a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter and started shooting the actual film in May of 2016. Um, and it is really weird looking back now with the COVID landscape, how much we could have filmed this now and how isolated we were and how it, we, we definitely got a, a dose of what it was like that everyone is experiencing now. So are, now, did you, where, did, where did you shoot it? Was it in the desert here in the Palm Springs area or in L.A.? Or where did you actually shoot it? Yeah, so we the shot majority it, of our um, shoot... Sorry. <laughs> I was gonna, you go. I, I was going to say, like, um, I finally got the phones working on my end, so I do apologize for any inconvenience, mm-hmm. but like, go ahead and... Um, what was your, go ahead and ask I was asking where they shot it. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, we, yeah. Um, well, we shot it in Los Angeles. We shot a majority of it in Palm Springs, and we shot actually in New Mexico and other parts of the high desert, the wonderful desert that we love so much. What were some of the, what were some of the challenges of not having a crew? Um, all the challenges you could imagine, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, hair and makeup trying to maintain looking the same over the course of two years of shooting was really interesting. Um, uh, obviously, you don't have a boom operator or someone to run the camera, so everything just takes a lot longer. Um, having having to set up sound equipment in unusual ways, um, you know, if we couldn't use mic stands, we'd rig shotgun mics to apple boxes with gaffer's tape. It was a very unusual process. However, I'd say, you know, with challenges came a lot of of gifts as well because with that level of isolation, we had so much um, control over what we were doing. And it it was a real uh, true creative uh, uh, experience of freedom there. And what, what about, so did you direct each other basically? How did that work? Oh yeah, we were doing. All, that's all we were doing. We were we would direct each other. Um, so if we were both on screen, 
no one would be behind the camera. If one of us was doing a close-up or a single shot, and the other was behind the camera. And um, But we were constantly directing. It was a very natural workflow, though. You know, it never felt intrusive. So would you recommend, do you know, are you some of the first people that have ever actually done this with no crew? Or would you recommend this this process to other people who want to do a movie? Um, I, I, I cannot think of another example of a, a film, a full feature film that has been shot with no crew where mm-hmm. the only people that did crew were also starring in the film, but I, I could be mistaken, but I haven't mm-hmm. seen an example of that in a feature length film, um, that is not documentary style. Um, and, uh, would we recommend it? I mean... Why not? I, 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 <laughs> Challenge. If you, if you want to go make a film and, uh, you know, you have all the, the tools at your, uh, you know, it, it, it's, you can learn a lot online now looking up tutorials and, and learning about equipment. However, um, I'd say the length that it will take you to maybe shoot <laughs> will be so- just the length as it would in, 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 in going the normal traditional route, just... Okay, we're almost out of time. So is your movie out? Where can people see it? Is it out in theaters now, or where can people see it? The curtain rises on local and regional arts and entertainment. From music to theater, films to fine art, it's The Culture Corner. Get connected. Call 760-544-TALK. That's 760-544-8255. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. And we're back on the Culture Corner. I'm Bonnie Gilgallon here with Brian Mendoza. And now we have on the phone uh, two buddies of mine, known these two for years, very talented actors. I know Rupert directs and writes. I'm, I'm not sure about Dory, but Dory does a lot of things. She does communications. She's a big, big muckety-muck with Democratic women in, in the desert, which I love. Hey, Dory and Rupert, how are you? Hi. We're good. So, uh, script to stage to screen. So, tell people, um, some people, I mean, I've had a lot of folks on over the years on my show from script to stage to screen. But just in case somebody's listening who is not familiar with the group, tell everybody what, uh, what you, what's the mission of script to stage to screen? Um, well, it is a stage reading group, and the mission is to... Uh, produce new works in staged readings from uh, playwrights, and often the works are about social issues. Okay. Uh, For example, you know, there was one about, um, oh gosh. Well, we've had ones that involve abortion, for instance. We've had ones... Other women's reproductive rights, uh, like they used to sterilize women in America. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, We've had a number that have to do with discrimination also. Right, right. Right. Or family issues. And family issues. And one was about euthanasia Mm -hmm. recently. Yeah. Yeah, so so some heavy-duty stuff. Yeah. And now... Some of it is. Now and I, we have comedies too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, I, Rupert, I know you act and direct and write. And Dory, have you have you done some dire- directing and writing too? I, I was thinking yes, but I wasn't sure. I wanted to check with you. On no, that. Uh, acting. Okay. And then uh, Rupert and I have been doing the marketing for the group for mm-hmm. uh, almost two years now. So Gina Bacalis, the artistic director, twisted my arm a couple of years mm-hmm. ago and uh, talked me into being in a comedy. And uh-huh. then I actually got nominated for a DTL award and actually. Wanted. I can't believe it. And I'm such a newbie. You yay, know, that yay, I was shocked. 
Yeah, but a little bit of acting. Mainly, I'm bes- behind the scenes. Okay. All right. So, so obviously, theaters. Everything has changed now because of mm-hmm. the pandemic. Live theaters are not doing what they were doing before. So, theaters have had to try to find other ways to be creative and maintain uh, their momentum and have the actors work and have people be in. So, tell us what how, what Scripted Stage to Screen did about that and what what your solution was. Well, initially, most of the theaters were sending out letters saying, you know, uh, we're thinking of you, we hope you're thinking of us during this difficult time, et cetera. And so we thought we would do something a little beyond that, that we would try to make up something that they could interact with. And so that kind of gave birth to what we call our video confections. And we've done two thus far, um, and they've been very well received. They've both been comedies because we felt uh, during these times it was important to put a smile on people's faces if we could. And it's been a lot of fun doing them. So, so I, and I, I, st- I apologize, I wasn't able to see the other one, but I did see Sheltered mm-hmm. Squares, which mm-hmm. was very cute. Uh, Dan Graff and uh, Felicia Mason. So tell right. us, and now did you direct both of these, uh, Rupert? Well, uh, the first one, um, Dory and Don Shalufa, who started that, did that together. Okay. Uh, the second one, yeah, I kind of did it from A to Z in the second one. I wrote the script, and I directed and produced, and Dory assisted me on all of it. So uh, we had a lot of fun, and it ended up being, you know, decent, we thought. So. So t- and Don sort of directed the first one, Don Chalufo. You know, he's a talented actor and director. Mm-hmm. And, for example, I was the voice response system. I was the voice of the voice response system in that comedy. And he um, he directed me. Like, I had to put a smile in my voice on every line. Yeah, it was, it was basically so, about getting caught in voice yeah, messaging yeah. hell. Oh, you know. oh okay. As local we- playwright Jason Hull wrote that. Yeah. Jason oh, yeah. lives in Palm Springs. He's very talented, yeah. guy. Yeah, the right. script has changed the screen has done a number of his plays, I believe, haven't they? That's Over the correct, yeah. yes. yes. So tell me about the unique challenges of putting something like this together uh, uh, video-wise rather than being live well, on stage. You know, uh, you're, there are challenges, and the first challenge was uh, technological challenges. Uh, we, tried to, we tried and were successful in working through Zoom which, you know, has become the hot mm-hmm. video conferencing program nowadays. And we had to, of course, deal with the fact that um, you just can't assemble a bunch of actors anymore. You have to either find a couple, for instance, that's living together. together right. or, you ha- or you have to produce a show that somehow has two people in remote locations. Mm-hmm. So the first one we used uh, one person, which was Don Shalufo, and the second person was a voice, and that was Dory. Yeah, mm-hmm. and can I pop in here? Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, using Zoom isn't that hard on the surface, but if you want to do different things with it. So we really had to figure out how you could hear my voice but not see a photo of me because we didn't want right. anybody to see my photo. And Zoom typically put puts a photo of the person up there, mm-hmm. even if you're not on by video. So we had to figure that out. There are little things, and what else we well, have to Well, I was going to say, some other people have now been doing this, and they will sometimes do live performances. Yeah. But we opted not to do that. So what we do is record the Zoom recording. Mm-hmm. You know, we do a performance and record it on Zoom. Then I'll pull it, pull it into a movie editing program, and I'll add certain effects and graphics and credits and things like that. And it makes kind of, we think, you know, a better package. So now, Rupert, were, were you uh, skilled at doing all that before, or was this a learning curve for you technologically? Uh, well, as far as the, the movie, uh, you know, editing and using a movie software, yes, I have experience in that. 
and I had a lot of fun relearning it because you know some of it is kind of complicated, and as you know, uh, as you age, uh, the neurons just aren't as quick as <laughs> jumping out to help you. Yeah. So, but it was, but it was very, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed relearning that, and I enjoyed putting in effects like if you saw sheltered squares, you know that a prominent player in it is a dog. Dog, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the barking dog was a funny running gag, and that was an effect. You know, I inserted mm-hmm. the dog. Okay. And some music. Yeah, and of course questions. we put. You know, the music is very yeah. important. So yeah. you open, you know, kind of with downer music, pandemic music, I called it. You know, and then you end with very upbeat music, and you see them. You know that they still love each other after being apart for the year, and um, they go out that way. So it's it's you have to. It was a lot of uh, challenges, like you say, both technologically and from an acting standpoint for everyone involved. Now, was uh, um, were Dan and Felicia were they physically in different locations? Totally. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they were. Uh, yeah. Her home and his home. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I want to say the actors were all very willing to do this, to pitch in and take their time, volunteer their time and effort to do mm-hmm. it, because we would have several rehearsals on Zoom. I think Don and I did nine or ten rehearsals wow. before we recorded it. Uh huh. Yeah. And now are, do, are there uh, other um, video conf- confections in the works? Well, yes. Uh, we're, you know, we kind of... Um, make them up as we go along and um i'm looking at a number of possibilities next um uh i don't want to reveal what it is at this time but but to be honest with you the challenge is you know how do you create a level of interest where somebody will want to watch a video from script to stage to screen Mm -hmm. you know if it was rupert smith making a speech about acting who's going to tune into that but on the other hand if you did some kind of arresting comedy they might tune into that and there are points in between mm-hmm. so. now do you have uh, I, I've heard other people say with this kind of thing uh, there's kind of a, a common uh, theory that people have a limited attention span so did you have a time frame you were shooting for we want to do 15 minutes 20 minutes do you have a time frame well, you are ever astute with your questions money <laughs> <laughs> I try well you know you know this is I'll, I'll give you a funny and not not to uh, digress but uh, back in the day when the internet was just starting to bloom uh, I was kind of involved in that and I used to give speeches on how on the internet people are less patient than they are in the real world period yeah okay so like if you designed a website you need to remember you know if you don't catch them right away they're gone right and the same is true today of course with anything whether you're doing a play or whatever and so yes we have to be very attentive to that and we made a rule we would not go beyond 10 minutes because we felt that was the maximum stretch Mm -hmm. now i wanted to ask so when i see let's say all these zoom reunions and zoom calls for like recently they actually did one for father of the bride three-ish for netflix and they used yeah. the <laughs> homes of the actors as sort of their set decorations yeah now in your productions do you let the let's say actors homes kind of influence and be part of the set like if you notice that there was something in someone's home it does it become in some ways part of the story or does or is it well that's 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 also a very good question because you have to think about the set mm-hmm. and put that word in quotes. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. So like if you if you looked at sheltered squares, you might notice that in the husband's background, things are kind of more scattered around and messy. Mm-hmm. And in the wife, they're more together and, you know, clean and, and organized. And you think about what people are seeing behind the actors. Mm-hmm. As far as using that set, if you saw the other set, the other, excuse me, the other vignette that we did, the, start, the actor started way across the room by the front door, and he ended up in front of us in the camera. So you used his living room, but you try to work with what you got. 
And you always, we always checked what was behind them to make sure, you know, you, Rupert said that, but in case there was not like a tree coming out of their head. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. You've yeah. seen that in, in still yes. shots, yes. you know, where somebody's got a tree coming out of yeah. the back of their it's head. A little yeah. distracting. Yeah. So, yeah. And we worked on costuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we oh. used all, all the same elements, and, just, you know, in a different circumstance. Yeah, and I noticed Dan looked a little beat up a little you know like he hadn't slept much and shaved and yeah 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 that's right you know he was you know very much in character Mm -hmm. um uh, you know he actually you know we and we of course cast it with those things in mind yeah so 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 i have to ask you uh you two um dory what's it like to have uh have you you have you worked together where rupert has directed you in something or no no, no. But Don has We've directed acted me together. before. We've acted together numerous times. Would you be uh, in script to stage to screen? Would you be up up for that if that should occasion should uh, arise? Rupert directed me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hey, we worked together for years, and we're still working together. Well, in, in, a, sense, in a sense, she directs me in life, Bonnie. Well, you know. as it should be, Rupert. I'm just saying, as it should be. But. Uh, it's a team effort because when we were doing Sheltered Squares, I I thought about um, Hollywood Squares and uh-huh. game shows like that. And I told Rupert that after we looked at the first recording, I, I said it, it needs something to make it deeper, something. And so that's when we decided to add a little bit of music between mm-hmm. when the two, when the, mm-hmm. when the couple finished yeah, answering and, a question yes. and then then the announcer goes on to the next you, question. You, you may, yeah. yeah, you may not have noticed that. It's a very subtle, but Dory yeah. was right. It's a very subtle but important thing. I so did, like, yeah. When you did, when Dan Graff gives this answer and has this dorky expression on his face, there's yeah. these few little notes of music, music that yeah. happened. Yeah. It yeah. needed something. It needed that, it yeah. a little more quality. So yeah. where can... So he took that well, that su- suggestion yeah. from me. <laughs> so people can anyway. go to this website, www.script2stage2screen to see, see these, com. correct? Dot com. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's always the numbers, too. Script, yeah. the number two, two. stage, the number, number two, two, screen. Dot yeah. Com. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a great idea. It was a fabulous idea, and I'm going to get a chance to watch the other one, but, but uh, Sheltered Squares was a lot of fun. So, Rupert, do you have a lot of thing, uh, ideas for new sh- plays and kicking around your head all the time? Actually, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always bring them into fruition, but, uh, yeah, I do. But, you know, it's funny. I've never written a script before that one. I've done, you know, Dory and I, by education experience, we're both, you know, professional writers. Yeah. But I've never written a script. Yeah. But I had a lot of fun with it, and it actually came to me pretty quick. So. Yeah, he wrote it in less than 24 hours. Excellent. And then I, I uh, reviewed it and gave him some ideas. Good. Yeah. And well, he's got some other good ideas we're still debating. <laughs> super. Well, you guys, congratulations to you and Gina and Script to Stage to Screen. You do some great stuff, and what a great idea to keep us all entertained. Congratulations, and we're looking forward to seeing more of them. Okay. Well, thank you, Bonnie. Thank you, Bonnie. All right, you take care. We'll have more on The Culture Corner in just a moment. You're listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Live from the desert cities of Southern California, here's Brian and Bonnie. 
And we're back on the Culture Corner. I'm Bonnie Gilgallon here with Brian Mendoza. And we got some more entertainment news. What do you want to hit on this time? Okay, let's go ahead and, since we were talking about it on <laughs> during the break, why don't we talk about, well, the cast changes on The Simpsons and Family Guy. For those of you who don't know, The Simpsons, this, this is kind of an event that accumulated after a couple years. Um, but we'll give context in a bit. The ep- the, what's going on is that Alex Desert, Deseret, I think that's his name, he's replacing Hank Azaria as the voice of Carl Carlson on The Simpsons. And we're also going to have another actor, um, YouTube star Arif Zahir. I do apologize if I'm mispronouncing names. We're doing our best with names. We'll be playing Cleveland Brown on Family Guy instead of Mike Henry. Now, this has actually occurred because pretty recently, uh, as you not to get into heavy subjects because, you know, we've been doing that. But it's important. It's important. Um, The thing would be that there's been sort of this discussion about whether or not people of color should be voicing people of color on air. Yes. Duh. Hello. (laughs) I mean, I can't I cannot believe, you know, Eric, my partner, Eric, loves Family Guy and watches it all the time. And sometimes he'll twist my arm. I was just telling Brian, (laughs) I like Stewie and Brian the dog. They're funny. The rest I don't like. (laughs) But anyway, I am shocked that the voice of Cleveland Brown was not an african-american man i think that was horrible that they did that well the thing would be for this specific casting decision they decided to kind of make it it, it kind of started with jenny slate no longer playing the black the black girl for, on big mouth now show, big mouth is about a group of children mm-hmm. and jenny slate's character is a half black half white character and mm-hmm. so um in real life jenny slate's just white and so a lot of people started to kind of jump on this idea of like, you know, maybe we need to reevaluate our casting decisions. And it actually happened. I think it kind of started off with a movie that came out a couple of years ago called The Problem with Apu. This is a documentary that was per- 45 minutes. You can watch it. I, I do recommend it because I think it asks a lot of good questions. The documentary decides to talk about the character of Apu from The Simpsons, mm-hmm. whether or not he counts as a stereotype, what does he mean? And these are actual Indian Americans talking about this character. What, what was what did most of them say about that question? They they pointed out that the character being voiced by a white guy kind of was one of the biggest problems Issues, of it yeah. because he kind of does put on an accent, but they admit the character is likable. But that over the years growing up as Indian, they were kind of expected to put on an accent and put on a voice. And anytime someone does an Indian accent that they model themselves after Apu, that Apu himself could be a likable character. But his that there's a lot of unfortunate situations that could arrive from that character's existence. Mm-hmm. And so they've actually retired the character of Apu on The Simpsons. And, they may, and they're and they working on getting a Indian actor to play the part. But I don't think they've found the right person mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Now, personally for me, I think these are... I think, honestly, just for the fact that they're changing it up a bit on those shows. Because those shows last have lasted for 20-something mm-hmm. years yeah. each. Just changing it up a bit doesn't it doesn't hurt. Doesn't a little hurt, bit. yeah. Doesn't hurt. Uh, but I just think personally, um, there's been so much struggle over the years, and yes, it's better, but it's still not the way it should be. There's been so much struggle over the years for first starting out women, but then minorities of any kind to to be represented 
in the entertainment world, whether it's on screen, television, movies, but even just voices. And I just think if you're going to have an African-American character in a cartoon, it should be voiced by an African-American actor. Give that African-American actor that work. I think that's to not do that, I think, is awful, personally. I definitely agree that it's about opportunity. More than anything, it's about opportunity because if I'm going to be fair, Mike Henry... Mike Henry's voice uh, uh, on Cleveland Brown, his character is, it sounds fine. Like, it's a good performance. I mean, he was fine. I see, I never knew. I never, and I like, I liked Cleveland Brown. I was, he was one of the characters that I I liked. Um, But I'm stunned that that was not an African American actor doing it. And Frank Azaria, everyone understands that that guy can voice so many characters. He's He's very talented. He's voiced 20 something characters on The Simpsons. For me, I think the the idea is to kind of tell. Uh, I, I think it's important to tell, like future producers and future get uh, casting directors. Hey, consider giving a person of color this role because if anything, if we don't give this role to a person of color and it is a person of color, no matter if it's stereotype, at least you can say you gave an opportunity. Right. And exactly. I mean. I mean, uh, it's bad enough that enough minority characters aren't written into the whether it's cartoons movies television it's bad enough that that's the problem but then once you get a minority character written in then you're not going to cast with a minority actor i think is just i i I just think that's there's no excuse for it personally and on the cleveland show because the cleveland show is a spinoff of family guy Mm -hmm. now that show's been canceled for years and i remember that one of the things that people talked about was you know it, it it's both a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing that there is an animated program with black characters. M- may not be the most well-written show, but mm-hmm. at least it's there. But then I had someone say, yeah, but they're all voiced by white characters. Yeah. So is it much of a victory at that point? And not really. Yeah, no. I think the answer is not really, yeah. And I think the important thing is that I think it's imp- I, it will give incentive for future producers to cast someone like Issa Rae, for example, Issa Rae, or actors like Kenan Thompson to voice these characters instead. And also the fact that these are two actors I've never heard of, and they're actually new, and one of them's from YouTube, it actually gave them opportunities exactly. that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten. Exactly, and, yeah. And one of the things, too, is that whenever you hear a African-American character played by an African-American actor, like in the show The Boondocks, it's an animated show that's about um, a, a black family moving to the suburbs, and they call it The Boondocks. Mm-hmm. The characters, because they're played by actual black actors, they, they, they don't have to put on, like, I like to call performative blackness where they have to kind of play black and then that then because that then oftentimes becomes a stereotype or yeah. caricature yeah and definitely like if if i notice something with the voice of carl carson is that the actor has to put on a especially baritone voice compared to what he is for mr burns or for lenny or the other characters mm-hmm. and on family guy mike henry he plays other characters as well on there but i feel in the case of mike henry that he definitely puts on a very specific voice for Cleveland Brown. He also plays Hubert, which is the perverted character, uh, Consuela, which I'm surprised that they're not casting Consuela because that's a Latina woman. But I, I mean, I get it like when you cross dress and you make jokes, but still, we'll see. We'll, that's yeah. a conversation for another day. But I think it's good that they're taking these steps forward on these um, characters. Do we have time to get into... Um 
Anything, yeah. anything else, Ellen, or whatever? Uh, we'll, we'll save Ellen we'll for save now, Ellen. but like Barack Obama's memoir is coming out later this year. I'm, way, I'm getting that book. <laughs> I am definitely getting that book. Sp- yeah. Speaking of uh, issues, but I think Barack Obama's memoir is called The Promised Land. Yeah. Now, yeah. the book itself is going to be the part one of a multi-volume set. It is currently being sold on Amazon and um <clears throat> it's actually coming out November 17th, so it, it's going to be a good Christmas present for some uh, people. And he's a, he's a heck of a writer. I, I read Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. Of course, I read Mary Trump. I read uh, Michael Cohen. I'm, I'm on a I'm on a roll here with these <laughs> books. I'm really good. But Barack Obama's a wonderful writer. I'm really looking forward and to that. And his first memoir was... It was probably one of the reasons I would say people connected with him yeah. during the election yeah. 2008. Yeah. All right. Much, much more on the second hour of the Culture Corner. You're listening to uh, Culture Corner on iHub Radio. We'll be back in a bit. <laughs> 